When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. A healthy lifestyle depends on quality sleep, and Sleep Number is here to help you sleep more efficiently. Sleep efficiency is the amount of restful sleep you have at night and is a key part of your overall health. Here are some tips to help you get the most efficient sleep possible. Reduce caffeine consumption before noon and limit late-night alcohol. Get regular exercise during the day, which helps you feel tired in the evening. And keep track of your sleep health with data from your Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Sleepers who routinely use their Sleep Number 360 smart bed features get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year. With that much extra energy, you could get more quality family time, volunteer at a meaningful charity, or exercise, meditate, and reconnect with nature. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep, which starts with Sleep Number adjustability. It's time for Sleep Number's ultimate sleep number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com slash podcast one for details. Microsoft Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet all in one. It has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that could even store your Surface Pen. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash Surface Pro 8. Podcast One presents... This is a collect call from Sing Sing. My name is John J. Lennon. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. I'm also a contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. Imagine trying to stay focused and talk about issues of substance with geeks slamming, prisoners screaming, and PAs blaring in the background. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Derek Bodner of The Athletic, specifically The Athletic Philadelphia, and I wanted to have him on to talk about the Sixers when I was kind of thinking about this unusual structure of this hiatus and the team that had kind of the most on the line right now, other than the championship contenders. It is the Sixers because there's so much to evaluate and they have a lot of important decisions to make, and Derek is the perfect person to talk to about that. So we go through a lot of different things. We even game out a little bit of a potential playoff series with the Celtics, and really enjoyed the conversation. Runs a little bit less than an hour. Brought to you by Bet Online. Use that Podcast One promo code to tell them you came from us and to get a special sign-up bonus, which is great. And hope you really enjoy the episode. Lots of great stuff in here. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Once we got the 
two to four week kind of tentative timetable, I started thinking a little bit more from a team perspective and realized that you and I hadn't talked in a while. And part of why I I wanted to talk to you specifically is the Sixers, we always knew this was going to be a fascinating and important and challenging season for them with, you know, the overhaul that happened last year in the off season. And I just started thinking, I need to ask, I need to ask Derek Bodner about how the hell this is going to go for this franchise when so much was about evaluating how the 2019-20 season went. Yeah, I, I, the Sixers have always been an interesting team for the longest time uh, because nothing is ever normal with this group. And you're right. I think this was a lot. A lot of people looked at this year as this is when you can sort of get the normalcy because they, they changed like their starting lineup two out of five spots every year, pretty much to a T. They had Covington and Sharge the one year, the first year with Embiid and Simmons. Then they had um, Redick and Jimmy Butler last year who are no longer with the Sixers. And now you've got this current group with Josh Richardson and Al Horford. And there's been so much change. And they got these guys locked into these long-term contracts. They pretty much ate up all of their flexibility. So I think you're right. This was the year where you were supposed to start seeing, like, how is this going to look when it all came together? And then you had kind of the competing different things of the, you know, the, the challenges with integrating Al Horford kind of from a couple different perspectives. And then... Before all of this happened, Ben Simmons' back injury. And then, so it's like, oh God, are we even going to get to see the Sixers? And then it becomes, are we even going to get a season? Are we even going to get a playoff? So we we talked, from what I recall, we did a little bit on the Horford situation before, though I do want to get to that. But I want to start with Ben Simmons. Do we know any more, or is this just kind of because of the COVID situation, we just haven't been getting full information? Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, Elton Brand had a conference call not too long ago, uh, a week or two ago. Uh, where, you know, he said that they were confident in the progress he was made and that they, they feel like when the season is brought back up, he will be he will be able to play. They say they can't say that definitively because obviously they haven't seen him go in a practice in a five on five, see how the back responds. But the word has been that it has um, it has recovered pretty well. That's great. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if the season does resume, that's a, a huge benefit uh, for the Sixers for sure. Yeah. And it, it gets into, I mean, there was Nate and I, when we were doing mailbags and stuff in the early days of, of this, of this shelter in place pandemic, we were getting questions about like who, who could theoretically benefit and who would be hurt by this. And the one we always said was the biggest question mark was the Sixers because they need you, they need to get a lot of information this year, but if, if they can have Simmons for a higher proportion of the remaining season, that would definitely be a good thing. Yes, it would. Uh, yes, it would. There's always, you know, we talk about that a lot too, and it's always okay. Well, you, you get Simmons back, that's great. But now, what does Embiid look like with all this time off? And that's right. sort of like the uh, the potential, you know, canceling effect. But we'll see. We'll see. And and also the intense. Should we be lucky enough to have? Let's call it a playoffs. Like I, I, my general assumption is that we won't really get much of any of a regular season. Maybe something will be called that, but it won't really be that. And now that puts so much concentration on an intensely small sample size that is almost guaranteed to be entirely non-representative yes yes i mean it's so much like how 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 well have you kept yourself in shape how quickly i mean i just remember going back to the strike shortened season yeah the first half of that season just seemed weird like the results were weird the play was weird it was sloppy and it's because you had to just ramp up so quickly and in a blink of an eye you were in in playoff mode and this is going to be even more condensed and more weird. And yeah, there, I, I don't expect, you know, I hate to say like there will be an asterisk because I don't like there shouldn't be an asterisk, but it will be different. Like it will be a completely unreplicable situation that will introduce new variables that we're just not used to. 
And uh, trying to predict that right now seems almost impossible. Well, and and not only trying to predict it, but trying to extrapolate meaning from it is is a really challenging endeavor. And the Sixers, so so there are a bunch of different ways that you could think of this small sample size evaluation being challenging. And I would say the most perilous would be the one where you have a lot of flexibility, where teams are trying to think of this this period of time. I mean, you could draw the parallel, though they didn't have this much flexibility, of like the Blazers taking last year's Western Conference Finals appearance as an indication that they were one of the two best teams in the Western Conference and giving Lillard and CJ McCollum those huge contracts. And I guess you could say that was flexibility because they had the ability to sign those contracts even if it wasn't with cap space. And that's the most daunting is when teams have a lot, they have a lot to evaluate and do it. But the other, the other side of that is when you don't have a lot of flexibility, but you're right in your window and every decision you make is exceedingly important. And that's really the, the vein that I see the Sixers in. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they have these two really unique players, a post-up center in a league that's pretty much completely abandoned the post-up and a non-shooting point guard in a league that values shooting so heavily. And they have to try to figure out a way to make this work. And this year they went pretty much all in on size and defense and and, and really not having a defender you can pick apart, at least in the starting lineup. And they're trying to see whether or not that can work, not only in an 82-game regular season, but whether that can work in a playoff environment uh, where where, where things change, where the the sport is different. And you need to, first of all, that's a risky decision to build around because it's, I mean, we've seen the clunkiness of the offense play out night in, night out. But if that is your premise, that the playoffs are what matter, and this is a team we think that is specifically purposefully built for the playoffs, you want those playoffs to be as normal and as representative as possible, uh, both because you want to see whether or not you need to blow this up and try to rebuild some other way. Not not rebuild, but build around your two stars some other way. But also because if it works, or quote-unquote works, works to a reasonable degree, even if it doesn't yield a championship, you need to know whether or not this is a strategy to double down on and continue pursuing. And it is going to be it is going to be different for sure. Right. And the other exacerbating factor, part of why I wasn't as enthusiastic about this, you know, theoretical stoppage being as good for the Sixers is if this ends up being a situation where the regular season is halted and the, if there are playoffs, which would I'd be thrilled about, but they were built on the season as it ended. Philadelphia would be the six seed, not the five. And that yeah. means they would be playing the Celtics in the first round. So it's not even a circumstance where, should that come to pass, where they have time to figure this out. It's not like they have a, you know, and there would have been challenges facing the Heat in the first round. It looked for a while like that was the destined 4-5. I even did a thing about how I thought I thought that was the single most likely series because of the uncertainty with the 7-8. and eight. And that might end up being completely wrong, but... Boston, you know, get get right into the cauldron because it's a best of seven if if it's a best of seven, and they're a very very good team. They are, and the Sixers have had a, a pretty good uh, degree of success against the Celtics this year. You know, I do think the Sixers. I think I think Boston has been the clearly better, more consistent team. I think the Sixers have some aspects where they're a struggle for Boston to match up with, and by some aspects, I mean Joel Embiid. And I think it would be interesting to see that play out. But yeah, I mean, look, I think I think if you were looking at it, you would want the, the Heat in the first round. Um, you know, I think they're tied with the Pacers right now at five six. Uh, so even if you get a little bit of a end of the regular season, that could change pretty easily. But yeah, I mean, it, it playing the, the, the uh, and I mean, look, the home road thing is 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 clearly not going to be what it was. Uh, and in some respects, the Sixers lucked out a little bit because your typical 
Um, you know, you've, you've got these teams like the Celtics who have worked so hard and been so consistent all year long, and you want to reward that with the home playoff series. And the Sixers are sort of like your over-talented number six seed. So in, in one way, that, that benefits them because they, they don't lose home court advantage, but also they have that ridiculous home road splits where you now don't get the the benefit of the 29-2 and two record you've built at the Wells Fargo Center. So that will be interesting. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... Um, Boston is not the ideal matchup for round one, but it would be an interesting series. It would be, and you'd have also the the elements of Al Horford playing against the, the his former team, but also Horford's place within that series because Boston they the they use a lot of more smaller forward sized guys rather than than bigs. They don't lean on them. You know, Tice is an important part of the offense. They can use Canner at times, but they don't they don't do some of the same things that would make that that it'll be a challenge for. Philadelphia's big men, though their overall positional size would be massive. Yeah, no, it would be it would, it would be fun to watch play out. And I mean, Ben Simmons has had a couple of really big. You know, Simmons has sort of been like the Sixers' Achilles heel when they met them in the playoffs two years ago, uh, because of of his limitations offensively and how Stevens was able to capitalize on that. But so far this season, he's played exceptional defense against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the perimeter, and it would be fun to see him step up. In a series like that, you know, I think one thing that sort of got lost in the playoffs last year was how much Simmons stepped up defensively. First on D'Angelo Russell in the first round, and then, and this is going to sound ridiculous to say, but Kawhi Leonard in the second round, even though Kawhi made every shot imaginable, they were well-contested shots. They were shots that you would, quote-unquote, want him to take. Um, Sometimes great offensive players just aren't going to be stopped, and Kawhi was in that zone. But I think I think Simmons had a real good defensive uh, postseason run last year, and I think this is a series where his his defense would factor in huge as well. Right, and it would, and especially when you factor in the growth that Tatum was showing, kind of heading into the hiatus, like it, that would have been a really fun test for both of those guys because Simmons yep. would have been guarding ideally a different Jason Tatum than they have seen over the last little while. Though how much of that would have held, you know, like would all the crazy stepbacks have been going in at the rate that they were in February? We we won't know for a while, but yeah, it, it is a lot. And then the other just elephant in the room, and I, I think about this in the context of the Washington Wizards because they were a recent team that did this, where it is much easier for an ownership group to make commitments to spend in the abstract than when there's a passage of time between when they make the commitments to spend and then when they actually have to. And so in the Wizards' case, that was, I I wrote a piece about this for The Athletic a few years ago, when they signed John Walden Supermax and gave Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, matched on Porter and then signed Beal, all to to max contracts. But it was another couple of years until they all kicked in. And so what happens then is, you know, it's a lot easier to say yes than to actually start signing those checks. And so with the Sixers that's really going to start kicking in for the 20-21 season. And so you have that's part of why you know we always thought the rubber was going to meet the road this year because it's the inflection and evaluation point before that, even if they already committed to the salaries. But then now that might be getting the additional complication that the Sixers, Warriors, and Nets are feeling most prominently, which is that if there is an adjustment off of the official projections – for the for next season already locked in contracts are the least likely thing to be affected so that just it's just going to go straight at their bottom line yeah and i mean that's a really good point that like planning to pay the tax and then actually paying the tax a year or two down the road are completely different things and now you've got the uncertainty you know i saw one projection i think this was from bobby marks where the, the the um luxury tax could drop from what was it 139 million mm-hmm. to like 115 million dollar threshold 
And obviously you would hope that that would mean there'd be a lot of things that would change in terms of how that's calculated or, or, or what have you. But if that held and the Sixers right now would probably end up make a couple assumptions right in like the $152 million range in terms of salary for next year is what I was factoring. So that, that luxury tax bill could jump from like 23, 24 million to like $130 million or something in that range. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I ran them, them within the last couple of days. You're talking about an, a huge growth. So it's not only like, okay, we were planning on paying the tax and now we actually have to, and that's a tough pill to swallow, especially if maybe this team underperforms. But also that tax bill could be wildly different than the one we were planning anyway. And this whole, you know, there's so many real world consequences to the coronavirus pandemic that it feels weird talking about it but like this how they man manage the cap and how they manage you know everything that's going to go into team building over not only just next year but could be the next two or three years it's going to be really fascinating because no matter what ro road they take there's going to be some trade-offs that teams are going to have to live with and the sixers are certainly right up there with those teams that will they absolutely are and it's a, gr a great point to bring up with the moving of the luxury tax and that changing the bill and then the other part of that equation that's worth discussing i don't know it specifically for the ownership group but remember that various teams the people who run them are their capacity to spend and their willingness to spend due to their personal wealth is going to shift too yeah and i mean look the sixers owners are doing really really well for themselves i don't know how much the you know current financial situation has impacted that but we're talking about like josh harris i think was worth like four billion dollars they have others sure. who were worth two to three billion dollars like i assume they're going to be okay i don't know how much of that is liquid like there's a whole lot of conversations there but it's more like it's more appetite i think is is the right way that Correct. you phrased it um you know because these are guys who are probably going to not be in as strong of a financial position as they were a couple months ago and you have a league that's going to get more costly real quickly and yeah i mean there's human behavior um billionaires by and large, I think probably like money. And it will be interesting to see how that uh, unfolds. Plenty more to talk about with Derek Bodner, but first a message from Bet Online. You might be thinking that there's nothing to bet on since there's currently no NBA, Major League Baseball, or NHL going on, but you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they're bringing the Vegas to you. And you should check it out, and if you start a new account, use the promo code PODCAST1, not only to tell them that you came from us, but to get a special sign-up bonus. If you are missing the NFL, no problem. Bet Online has daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. And if you're into entertainment betting, you could still bet on American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All of this is open 24 hours a day and all online. So visit the website or use your mobile device and join today using the Podcast One promo code for your new welcome bonus at BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Something else I, I, I wanted to dis discuss with you at least a little bit was going through some kind of like progress reports. I mean, if, it, it, it's, I kind of just also wanted to get back into basketball a little bit. I was excited because I know you know you know this team so well. And something that Nate and I got into when we were discussing – so we did this battle plan series, which was focused more on young cores and everything like that. And he, he asked me an interesting question that I hadn't really considered before it. Which was Josh Richardson, you know, when the, the Sixers acquired him, it was part of why they were able to get him is that he is 
after next season, so not right now, going to be uh, have this really low-cost player option that he is almost certainly going to decline, even in the way things are, to become an unrestricted free agent. And so the question that Aid asked me was, is it is it possible that the kind of the end game here, if Richardson either doesn't want to come back or, you know, because his own volition is an unrestricted free agent, or it's just not worth the money for whatever reason— Will Matisse Thibel be ready to take over that spot of basically being the being a guard starter, important defensive player, and then have a role within the offense? And I was, you know, I was a little bit surprised by it and then realized that seems like it almost definitely has to be what they're hoping for. Yeah, I think it's what they're hoping for. Now, what whether he will make that kind of leap in the next year and a half, I'm not sure. You know, Matisse is really about as unique of a young player as you'll find. His his defense at times undisciplined, but usually has a pretty good impact. Like the, the plays that he makes, the disruptive plays that he makes is, is pretty close to a league by itself. Um, he's not a pure one-on-one defender. He will get beaten. He will get blown by, but the way he is able to make plays off ball, make plays on ball with his length, his activity, his anticipation, it's, it's really fun to watch. And you put him and Simmons alongside of each other. And that's a team that can force steals at a real elite level. His offense is to say a work in progress would be putting it mildly. Um, you know, he had one stretch, I want to say like a 14 game stretch in the middle of the season where he shot like 50 some percent from three and it was looking really good. But if you look at the before and after of that, you know, I think over the last like 20 games or so, he's shooting like 24% from three. And in the first, however many games he was shooting in the low 30. So it's been real hot and cold with one huge hot streak and the rest of pretty dry spell. And that's concerning because that's really just about all that he does offensively. Like he'll make some cuts off the ball. Um, some lobs, but I, I watched recently, I, I went through synergy and I looked at every, every basket he's made. He's made seven shots all year. I think where he, you can really say he beat his man off the dribble. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're talking about a player who's played like 1100 minutes a season, seven shots all year where he's really beaten, like gotten past a guy off the dribble. And he just does not have confidence in those handles. I mean, doesn't have confidence because the handles aren't good for NBA good, at least. Um, to dribble in traffic like there's that's just not an element of his game that he does so he doesn't have a shot right now where he's really getting hard contests and getting guys off balance so he doesn't really have an easy driving lead almost ever his shot is super streaky so if it's not in transition or it's not a cut you're really playing four on five a lot and on a team that starts like i said a post up big and on shooting point guard that's tough to really take another position off the floor now he continues to get minutes because his defense is just that excellent but in order to make that step i mean we talk about Josh Richardson, and I think most years Josh is like in the 37 or 38% range off the catch from three. This year he's down, I think, probably like 34%. But those look like Ray Allen numbers when you start looking at what Matisse Thibel doesn't do on offense. Um, so there's there's definitely a step that needs to happen. Look, I'm not ever going to expect him to create off the dribble at a way even like Josh Richardson does. And, and Josh certainly isn't elite at that, but he at least has a pull-up game where when he gets going, he can... You know, you can you can you can you, you can at least impact the game that way. I don't expect Matisse to ever have that, but you hope that he has that a more consistent catch and shoot and a dribble drive game where he can at least attack the closeout and look competent doing so. And right now, there's there's still some progress that needs to be made there. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite kind of ridiculous stats with with Thibel, and I I think he has a lot of room to grow, and I, I I'm tantalized by what he could theoretically be. Oh. Is he? He was assisted on every single one of his three pointers this season. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like you, you, no, you he's see, he's not dribbling off of a screen and pulling up. You That's can not his see, game. you could see ninety percent. You could see ninety five percent. But you don't see many true one hundred percent for somebody who who you know. That's really as you said. That's like what he does offensively. Yeah, and look, he's 
really great kid, smart kid, hard worker, has so much defensively that 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 you love to watch. And I think not only love to watch, but like he makes a real impact on that end. So you hope that he figures it out because if he does, I mean, he doesn't need much to be a, a, a long-term NBA player that can fill a role on a good team. But I think he, there does need to be some growth. And that will be key you know, on whether or not he can grow into that starter role. Right. And I, another reason why it's such a high leverage situation for the Sixers is that even if we're throwing the, you know, the, the luxury tax element of this out, they just don't have that many other ways to get a theoretical fifth starter. You know, like the internal improvement. So, the, the, you know, they they have a lot of money tied up in four players, Embiid, Simmons, Harris, and Horford, all of whom are signed for at least two seasons beyond this year, most of whom are signed for significantly longer than that. Harris, yes. f- Harris four years, um, Simmons, five, Embiid, three, I believe. Um, yep. But so that means, okay, they're not going to be a cap space team. And they, you know, theoretically they could trade one of those for somebody, but then you're trading a starter for a starter. It's it's hard to do a t- two for one in that respect. But then they just, Zaire Smith would be challenging for me to imagine him in that role. And then, you know, the Sixers are picking late in the first round if they're even going to have those picks. And then the taxpayer mid-level or a minimum salary is a, it's incredible to get a starter for that. I mean, that would be one of the best mid-level contracts ever signed. Yeah, and I think the the hope there, the only other real young player they have in the pipeline, you know, Zaire at this point is, you know, project a long shot. Uh, Shake Milton, I think, has made a lot of progress here this year. Yeah, um, over the last twenty games, he was averaging like thirteen and shooting like over fifty percent from the field. Um, he had a real like his 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 when he came out, the knock was athleticism, and he still doesn't quite have that kind of burst. But he's he's played really well. And I think he's the other guy that you look at and say. You know, if you need someone to grow, it's it's got to be either Matisse or Shake to do that. They have two options. They've done pretty well here in the late first and second round over the last few years. Traded one of them away in Landry Shamit in the Tobias Harris trade, uh, but they've had a couple of decent hits here. And and you hope that now he had the scouting success, and now you need the player development to take that to the next level. Right, and and honestly, you probably need both Milton and Thibel to succeed because the other one's going to need to play a significant role in the rotation too. Yeah. And you, and like you said, you need, you need cheap, like there's, there just aren't that many ways to add real legitimate starter or six man quality talent to this roster. Um, they are pretty inflexible and you look at it and, and if you want to get rid of one of these contracts, you might end up having to attach some of these assets anyway. So you really, like that puts a real premium on the ones ones that you do have, like there's a lot of young players who show promise. There's a lot few of them who develop into 25 to 30 minute per game kind of players. You you need one or two of them to make that next step for sure. Yeah, and and the Sixers at the deadline, I think they they had the good fortune of dealing with a desperate Warriors team to get Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks. We don't know what kind of fruit that's going to bear at all, but that can't be seen as the kind of the standard or the expectation to be able to get two players that could theoretically be a part of your rotation for piddling second round picks. Yeah. Yep. Another couple of decisions. I mean, we don't know if we're going to get more basketball to evaluate it. Um, Players kind of on the fringes of the rotation. We could talk about the main guys too, a little bit, but Furkan Korkmaz interestingly got that, you know, got the rookie scale option declined and then re-signed with Sixers. He has a non-guarantee for next season. And then Norvell Pell, was a was a two way player who then got converted to a full contract as a non guarantee for next year. Knowing what we know right now, what would your feel be on on both whether they're going to be on the team next year and I, I think in Corkmont's case he probably will be, and then where they fit in to all this? Yeah, I think I think Corkmont's will be. Um, you know, it is just so tough to get 
shooting and, and real quality shooting. And look, Korkmaz has like there's just not an all around a- aspect to his game, but he's the one guy on the roster that can really you know shoot off the move, come off of a dribble handoff, come off of a screen. And be a threat and be somebody that the defense has to at least account for when he's doing that. And on a team with Embiid, you know, I think Embiid really thrives off that. We saw that a lot with J.J. Redick. They lost that, not in any way saying Korkmaz is J.J. Redick, but he's the only real facsimile of him that they have. And they were able to later in the year, which feels like an eternity ago, um, bust out some of the plays that Embiid would like to go to with Redick and run that with Korkmaz. So I think, you know, he is a legit shooter. You know, his first two years in the NBA, he was sort of like that shooter who couldn't make shots. And you looked at him, he said, all right, that shot looks good. He made it when he was over in Europe. He made it with Fez, but it hasn't been going in yet. And this year, the, you know, the dam kind of broke. I think he's shooting, I forget exactly what he's shooting, but up around 40% from three. And that's made him a playable NBA player. What does that mean? You know, ninth man, 15 minutes per game. Yeah, I don't want to go too much more because I'm not sure he's playable because of his defense in the playoffs. But I think he's got a spot on a roster. Whereas at this time last year, I wasn't quite so so certain about that. So I think he will be back um, in part because he is playable and in part because he's cheap. And those are two things that the Sixers very desperately need. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let's just talk about Cork Ross. I I agree with you on that. I looked it up. So he made 40% of his threes, took 11 per 100 possessions. And what's incredible about Korkmaz, he's, I think, probably one of the only players in NBA history, though it was a small sample size his rookie year, to shoot over 10 threes per 100 possessions every single year of his career. He's 10.2, 10, and 11, but obviously his success changed dramatically from that yes. rough rough early going to making a lot of them this year. Yeah, and that, that was something I was always pretty confident would, would follow. Like he, he, His form was always pure. They spent a little bit of time, when he first got here in his rookie year, uh, shortening up his shooting motion. Um, he worked a little bit on that Clay Thompson, no dip shot to add that to his repertoire. And it just felt like given enough NBA reps, those shots were going to start going in and, and they have, and I'm confident they will. And because of that, I think he will be on the NBA roster. So why not be on a team that has no cap space to add anyone? Um, Norvell Pell is, you know, he's fun. Uh, he, he blocks shots with reckless abandon or chases shots with reckless abandon. He's sometimes fun when he's running to the rim. He's not actually a good defender right now. Um, he's out of position a lot. He fouls a lot. And not that fouling is that big of a deal, but it's more a symptom of being out of position. Um, he needs a lot of work to, I think, really grasp rotations and, and what he can and can't do on a basketball court. Um, he is energetic. He is, you know, he, he does give effort. But I think, you know, him, I think, is a lot. You can, you can certainly upgrade your third center spot from Norvell Pell on a, a a pretty cheap deal. So I have less confidence he'll be around even next season. Well, and also if you have a third center that you don't, that you don't feel super confident is going to be a second or eventually a first paying them more, paying them, you know, the minimum or even a little bit more than that. It's just unnecessary. You know, like there, yeah. there, there are so many players that are available and you can check one of two boxes. You can either check the, they're better right now or the, maybe they'll be better later on. Right, because Norvell Pell is like 26, I want to say. He's not young. Yeah, exactly. And so, and maybe, you know, if you invite, if, if nobody else, you invite him to camp or something like that, that you could, that sort of situation. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't guarantee it. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. Yes. Uh, I wanted to, so I was thinking about Tobias Harris today when I'm, when I'm, when we were going to have this conversation and other than you know his three point shot could could have gone in could have gone in more than it has and that that's a fair thing to make that for me his season was both pretty much what i expected but also disappointing because of the reminder that he's on a max contract right does that seem fair 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's... And right when he signed that contract, you knew it was going to be an overpay. But the hope was that, you know, he had grown early on in his career. You hope that he had a few more steps to... Not that he was ever going to be that max player, but that he would at least come closer to it. And I think this year, for the most part, he has been who Tobias Harris has been. And that both the good and the bad. Like, I think his overall game, his overall style has pretty much been what it was in his recent years. It's just early and all in the season, that shot wasn't going in from the perimeter. And the second half of the season, it started going in more. He's played some good ball. Um, you know, but he's, he's, he's not going to get the free throw line. He's not going to get the rim. He's not really going to set up his teammates all that much. And I think he's taken a minor step defensively, but that means going from like below average to like only slightly below average or maybe average if you squint hard enough. So he's not really like there's, you know, his he doesn't have the burst or the handle or the creativity to really get all the way to the rim. He settles for a lot of those mid-range shots, which he makes at a high clip, but they're, you know, they're inefficient for a reason. His passes are pretty basic dump-off passes. Just and he he if he was your let's say your fourth best player, your fourth option really, he would fit a really nice role. But because the Sixers are so lacking in perimeter shot creation and so lacking in a player who can break down the defense in the half court and, and a player who has vision you know you have players like ben simmons who has that vision but because of his shooting deficiencies he's not really going to create off of a pick and roll that much you you just need you need an, an archetype that tobias harris really isn't and never has been so because of that you're a little bit disappointed that he didn't take that next step even if maybe at his age you know what 27 or, or what have you it was maybe unrealistic to expect too much improvement beyond what he has um but yeah between the contract and the role that he's asked to play i, I think it is both what you expected and also a disappointment. I think it's fair. And really that all stems back to what I would say, you know, not the original sin of the organization you and I have over the years had plenty of conversations about those, those sorts of things, but the Sixers gave up so much for Tobias Harris. And it always seemed to me like they misread how, where he, how important he could be on this team. And like that he was the, they traded away the stuff like he's the clear, perfect final piece when he was an imperfect at best final piece. Yeah. And, and that ripple effect, I mean, so there are a couple different ways to think about it. One for me was that the Sixers were willing to give him a full max contract. More power to him if that's the way they were going to feel. I, I disagreed with it then. and it, and But there, it seems like the Clippers, I mean, weren't super enthusiastic about that. And then especially when you consider the ripple effects of what they ended up doing in the summer of 2019, they definitely wouldn't have preferred giving Tobias Harris a max contract over everything that ended up transpiring. But so the, the other part of that is, so yes, they did have Tobias Harris for the 2019 playoffs and they, you know, did come very close to knocking off the eventual NBA champions. But th- th- you could kind of go in two directions. So one of them is he isn't that guy. And if they were willing to give him a max contract, yeah, they would have lost out a little bit because his contract ended up being was significantly more than his cap hold. And so there was some flexibility created there, which ended up going to Al Horford. But then the other part of it is if you're willing to give him a max contract and it's unclear whether his current team is going to, all of the play, all of the things that they gave up to get him would be so useful on their team right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look... Uh- Landry Shamit, as imperfect as he is, like you need, uh, we just talked about Furkan Korkmaz being playable because of that two man game he could have with Embiid. Landry Shamit's a much better version of that. You talk about the draft picks, and this is a team now that went from having so many assets and so much flexibility and so many different ways to get really what you want to be that third star that you've just wasted too many of them. Like you gave up too many assets for Tobias Harris to then overpay for, to have the right to overpay for Tobias Harris. 
And you combine that with maybe some other decisions like the Markel trade, which is so weird, but it basically tied up three draft picks, three draft picks that at the time were extremely high valued across the league. And the combination of those two trades, and you just don't like you are now at a point where you are completely inflexible. And it's um yeah, I mean it's it's I don't I don't know what other ways to say it. Like they he he is not good enough for either that trade or that contract. And that's you know, I like Tobias Harris. I think he's a useful piece. But you're right, they traded they they treated him both in the acquisition and in the contract like he was that can't miss third star that would make them a dynasty and he's just he's nowhere near that. Right, and it's it's always hard for me to kind of to to get part of my era. Part of it's just easy because it's you know passionate about GM stuff and everything like that. But the other part of if it's a a player I like, but you overpay for a player I like, it's just harder than if it's you know like Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> right. right. Like, okay. Right. And that was just so so blatantly wrong, and then you could go in that direction with Tobias Harris. It's just like okay, the theory on it was it wasn't great, but it wasn't abysmal, and there are certain boxes that Tobias Harris checked that are really hard to check. You know, forward sized guy who has a jump shot that other teams have to respect and can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. That isn't a large group of people. And then if you're narrowing that down to acquirable, whether through free agency or trade, players who can do all that, then it, it gets real it's a really small list. But it was yeah, it was it was what the the volume that they gave up, giving up picks, giving up Shamit, that was was really challenging. Was really challenging there. They did bring get back other things that were useful, ended up being useful in the in the twenty nineteen playoffs, Mike Scott notably among them. But yeah, I mean that that's the thing that I just can't shake. And you know, we brought up the idea of if Josh Richardson is no longer a sixer after the the uh, twenty slash twenty one season, they're going to be in that desperate situation. I'm not saying Shamit would have been the obvious pick or that he would that he was going to develop into that player or anything like that. But it would have been nice to have another op- another possibility. Yeah, sure. And I like they they there's. I think where this is really going to start to become an issue with this team is if they do start, like if they start feeling the crunch of that luxury tax, whether that changes or even just what it was eventually going to become. And you start losing, you know, let's say you lose Josh Richardson because you're not going to pay him that next contract because you have Al Horford and Tobias Harris on your roster, or you have to pay, you know, let's say you have to include Matisse Thibel to get rid of Al Horford. So you can then pay Josh Harris and keep him or Josh Richardson and keep him around long-term Josh Harris. He's the one who would be paying, but let's say you have to lose an asset to get rid of Al Horford. Um, so now, you, not only did that Tobias Harris contract or trade lose you those draft picks and Landry Shamit, but because his contract is so high and so exorbitant, then you have to trade assets to keep somebody who you want and Josh Richardson around long term. And there's just a snowball effect of those assets you lost, inflexibility, more assets you're going to have to get rid of so that you can improve your cap situation and your tax situation. And there's just I think they really got scared off by a what happened with Markel, and I think they they really thought he was going to be that third star. Yeah, and then b what happened in free agency when they got spurned by LeBron and Paul George and all those guys that they wanted to sign and couldn't even get real meetings with, and they went all right. Well, we have Ben Simmons; his extension is going to kick in. Last summer was really last summer. They're going to have cap space. We want to start getting some certainty around Embiid and Simmons. Let's just take the deal that we have now. Even if we have to overpay, get some certainty, get something locked in so we know what we have to pursue next summer or last summer with cap space. And it's just that's not the strongest position to be dealing from. And I think it led to a lot of mistakes. And also you had a rookie GM uh, who had had like a year and a half of experience in the G League. And that's all of his front office resume and, and some turmoil in the front office with what happened with Colangelo and the plans that he might have had. And it's just a really weird couple of years, decade. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, agreed. And and it, the Fultz thing, that's something Nate and I actually talked about. We did a, a What If podcast recently. And I, that, that The theory of Marco Fultz, and you and I were so excited about like how that was going to fit in and just due to things that none of us could have ever predicted ended up just totally not materializing. And it was also, for me, it was an appreciation of just how hard it is, even though the player the guard position player that the the Sixers need with those guys isn't as hard to find as the forward that they envisioned Tobias Harris to be. It is still a really hard nut to crack when you have limited resources, and that's a part of why it was just such a big hit for them. Yeah, and look, and like I said with the, the draft picks, like they traded the number three pick in that draft, and then they it, crazy protections, but basically the Lakers pick next year or the Kings pick in 2019. And think of where the Lakers were. Like the reason they still had that Lakers pick is because it kept falling in the top five and wouldn't convey year after. I think it didn't convey three like two or three row, straight years. Yeah. yeah. So that was really a really valued pick around the league at the time. And the Kings, I mean, the Kings were the Kings. And it ended up happening that they improved slightly in the one year when it it, it wound up conveying. But those three picks were essentially tied up because you 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 had to wait for the um, Lakers pick conveyance to figure out in 2018 before you could. But so basically, you had those three assets. And those were real trade assets. So it's not only just the Markel trade, but it's the opportunity cost of every other trade you could have gotten into between then and there. And it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it has not, uh, it has not worked out. And Markel is such a weird situation. And I don't think that was a scouting miss as much as it was, you know, we can get into a debate whether you could predict what would have happened or that was a background check miss or it's just completely random and fluky and you never could have predicted. Either way, it left them in a spot where they, um, you know, they were scrambling a little bit, I think. Right. I hadn't thought about the idea of the, the opportunity cost of those picks could have become other things, like whether they would have drafted a player themselves, you know, maybe they use that Sacramento pick or use it in a different trade for somebody else that just expands the war chest. That's that's a really, really good point. And I mean, as things turned out, and I, I think it would have been hard to predict whatever, whatever type of fit, whatever, what, however it happened, was that for the Sixers' specific purposes, other than maybe Josh Jackson... Everyone th- would have been better. Yeah, I mean, like, so e- e- if they had, you know, Tatum, sure, certainly, yeah, that that would have worked out incredibly well. Who knows, maybe he would have been off the board, maybe Danny Ainge would have would have bet on his own board and taken him taken him anyway, or, I mean, you could, they, they could have taken, you know, De'Aaron Fox. Like, he would have been imperfect, but at least, like, the the idea sort of of, like, a, a talented a talented guard. Like, they're all, it just... It's just so crazy how the you know the the thought the thought experiment of Markel Fultz there you know like it was a lot to give up but there was some merit there and then it just to have it blow up the way that it did is just it it, it it's it's I'm thankful that it didn't cripple the franchise because they have so much other strength there but it is it is pretty incredible yeah I mean Markel should send Joel and Ben a gift basket because if not he would receive a lot more um, you know I, I think there would be a lot more consternation about that pick in philadelphia yeah, more, because, more sam Bowie venom style right right and more whether it's deserved or not yeah right but because i mean I, darko lucked out in that regard too um but because they i mean the the, the the future is so strong they're still a contender it's just that was like if you're talking about patient i think zach lois said this when you're talking about patient zero of when this really became weird um he, he's where they sort of went off track from having that uh that, that potential dynasty I don't necessarily want to dwell on this unless you want to. In which case, I'm no, I've what, talked what, what, way... no, 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 different, different oh, topic. Okay. Okay. Um, but the 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 other kind of thing that Nate and I got into a little bit that I wanted to ask you about was now we're you know a few years in the players are still developing. Let's f- 
first, let's ignore the specific context of the surrounding talent. What is your evaluation of the Embiid-Simmons pairing if we're talking about being the two best players on a championship team? I'm still optimistic about what they can be. You know, I think I think right now Simmons is, it's obviously a tricky fit, but I think his weaknesses become exacerbated because they don't have that Markel Fultz-like guard um, who can really create in the half court. Like, I think they clearly wanted to pair him with a pick-and-roll ball handler, a lead guard like that, and, and, and that's why they pursued Markel the way that they did. Since that point, they've sort of backed off of that and done a complete 180, and now you've got, you know, I mean, now you've got all post-up guys who want to use their height and their size for that advantage, which is a weird mix, but they, you know, they pivoted and went more like a defensive approach, made Ben the lead ball handler. And I think because of that, his offensive weaknesses have become even more pronounced. I think, I think Ben showed a lot as sort of like a short roller, like sort of like a super Blake Griffin type where he can use his passing to, to pick teams apart when he gets them in, uh, in rotations. I think, I mean, they were having great success doing that with Shake Milton and, you know, how old Neto and like, if you get a real guard like that, a, a real guy who comes off of a, a, a corner and you have to account for them and can suck in a defense or shoot out coming off of a screen, hit a step back. Like I think Ben can become real interesting as a role man. I think his shot has made improvement and that's stupid to talk about when he won't do it in a game. And there's a psychological aspect that we're going to have to deal with and confront at some point on whether or not he has the confidence in it and whether he can overcome that fear of failure and sort of rip off that band-aid that he's never taken real meaningful shots in games. But I do think there, like if you're asking me whether or not he can develop the skill set to just make a catch and shoot shot with 10 feet of space between him and the defender, I am more confident now than I was a year ago or two years ago, but I'm less confident that he will get to the point where he can confidently do that in a game consistently. Yeah. The kind of the can versus will. Right. So there's a weird sort of dynamic there where I don't know if I'm confident or not, but I think there are ways like I I, I think the way that they were growing Simmons off ball towards the end of the season or the end of play was intriguing, especially if you get the right personnel around him. You know, there's this team is so weird and the spacing is so jacked up. And I think that gets thrown a lot on Embiid and Simmons. Look, partly it is like when your point guard or your lead ball handler, whatever you want to call him, can't shoot and won't shoot. That's tough to overcome. But then you've got you know Al Horford, who isn't comfortable shooting six three-pointers a game and wants to post up when he has mismatches and wants to operate in sort of like that, that mid-area and run a lot of pick and pop. And they just don't have, like, there's a lot of players who are playing. And you've got Tobias Harris, who wants to get in that pull-up range. Like, I think this team is just, it's not built to sort of capitalize on their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. And I think that, and look, it's, it's when you're talking about a championship team, like the margin for error there is so small anyway. So it's going to be tough. Like the fit around them has to be perfect. But I think, I think they both have the potential to, to do it in the right circumstance and that in the right circumstance is key. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Like when did Dirk win his championship? Like his 13th year in the league or something like that. Like it doesn't always come even, even Steph and, and the splash brothers. Like I think that was Steph's like six year or something like that playing. Uh, it is tough to get the right supporting cast. I think they're nowhere near having the right supporting cast around them now. So, yeah, I, I think there's still hope, but it's it's they are unique. They are their strengths and weaknesses are different. You're not going to be able to play the same style that a lot of the league wants to play. But I think I, I'm still a believer in betting on talent. And I think they have a lot of talent, and the way that they've grown defensively, I think is 
worth mentioning in this conversation too. I'm broadly on board with you, and I'm glad that you brought up defense because that's where I was going to start is that Embiid, I, I still think that he has defensive player of the year potential. Now, the the offensive workload he has and everything else, we, we haven't seen him all the way there yet, but I mean, he's 25. There's still, there's still plenty of potential there. And Simmons, I love, I think the most underrated thing about Simmons, and for some reason this just gets taken for granted because he started out doing well, is that his defensive versatility. I mean, there aren't many players in the league who you feel comfortable defending one through four on good players. There, There are some who's like, oh, you know, you can kind of dump them on whoever and they'll do okay. But Simmons can do well. Like, he can thrive on a lot of different players. And so that's why I think they're viable is that, you know, like a, a, a team builder, general manager knows you have to fulfill some very specific things. Then they're and they're hard to do, to be sure. Like you want you want somebody who can handle the ball but doesn't need the ball all the time, and everybody needs to be able to shoot. And ideally, you have some versatility defensively so you can take advantage of some of the things that Simmons does and other guys. But what you gain is that the height of those other players matters a lot less, and that is such a rare gift. And sure you know, generally speaking, the taller, the better and all these other things. And that was the part of it that was always a little bit tougher. You know, so partially the Tobias Harris thing and a couple other ones is that not everybody has to be six, eight to make this work. It helps, but it's not required. And I mean, like there, there's always space for a Josh Richardson or, a, you know, even a Landry Shamit, not perfect, but you know, you can get in there. And also when you have a foundation defensively, that's as strong as those two guys are, then you can start to tolerate imperfect defensive players to make it work. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're if you're looking to build a world-class defense, look, the Sixers, I forget where they are. They might be like sixth or seventh in the league defensively. They're, they haven't been world-class all year. Although I think when, when, when Embiid's on the court, they are. I think when their starting five has been on the court, or at least four of the five because they've changed that fifth starter now, they have been. Um, but, you know, Embiid's not locked in every game like he will be, hopefully, in the playoffs. Right. But if you were going to build a world-class defense, you would start with an elite rim protector big and a switchable forward and... The Sixers had two of the best versions of that in the league. So I think you're right. You can take some hits at some of the other players to get pieces who really complement and and fill in the gaps of what they can't do. And the Sixers just went in the complete opposite direction of that. And I mean, look, it's it's like I said, when all five and the Sixers have not been healthy for most of the year, um, you know, you I think their starting lineup has played like 19 games where all five of those the original starting five have been together Um you had him beat out, then you had Richardson out, then you had Simmons out, and then you had him beat out again. Like it's it's been it's been real tough in that regard. The defense has been there, but I think they just went too far. And like you just need a couple more players who can shoot and dribble and pass. And I think this becomes a lot easier to sort of see that progression towards a uh, you know a team that can compete at the highest level. Yeah, I, I think we're in pretty firm agreement there. Now, I, and- now how do you get those players? <laughs> like I talked about having a third, like a a third, like real a real good creator on the perimeter how you get that guy i have no idea because their this, trade assets point. are not yeah. yeah but yes well and not only is it trade assets but players on positive value contracts you yeah. know so horford not on a positive value contract right now i mean he's making basically 27 million a year after this season for another two and then that partial guarantee and then tobias harris is on a max contract that's gonna be really hard to move if you if you want to keep him beating simmons then we're not talking about them and then it becomes, you know, Josh Richardson and Josh Richardson, something that Miami could have dealt with in a different circumstance and not really being a part of the Jimmy Butler stuff. 
is it's actually genuinely hard to trade a player who is underpaid because everybody who is similarly good makes more money. Yeah, and not only that, but now he's he's basically a year away from being a free agent. And again, this isn't a time. It'll be interesting to see. You know, I think one of the things that was mentioned in the, the Bobby Marks article was that there might, if things stay the way they are, and nobody really expects them to stay the way they are, but there would be three teams with cap space. So obviously they're going to they're gonna change some things up on how this is all calculated. There will be more than that, but there, we might not be flush with cap space. So, you know, what does that mean for Josh Richardson? What does that mean for his next contract? There's going to be a lot of calculations in here where this isn't going to be just a, he's going to be an expiring contract. And how does the league value that? That'll be interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, you expect he will get a, a, a decent raise. So the fact that he is on an expiring deal and expected to get a, a, a much bigger deal going forward, you know, it is... It, he will have less value now than when the Sixers traded for him a year ago, you would expect. Right, even though it's not like he had a bad year or anything like that. It's just because now there's there's less toothpaste in the tube, let's put it that way, while he's still on, on this team-friendly contract. And it was reasonable for him when he signed it. He got got life-changing money ahead of time from, from the Heat, and I, I, thought it, I think it worked out well for both sides, as some contracts do. It actually doesn't happen that often. And with Richardson, the selling point to me for another team, should the Sixers be willing to trade him, is bird rights. Because there will be teams, even though the summer of 2021, people are going to be flush. Also, his his cap hold isn't going to be crazy high, depending on kind of where the estimated average player salary is, which is one of these nerdy questions that is going to have to get answered at some point in the future. Uh, His hold won't necessarily be ridiculous, but... That what you're looking for, and this is the same thing that I thought was going to happen with Danilo Gallinari, and then it didn't because partially OKC did well and partially just no teams were really in that right space, even though we couldn't have seen what happened coming, is, okay, we're, you know, this is kind of like, in a way, what happened with Tobias Harris is we we might not have the ability to get somebody better, but we'll have the capacity to pay him. So as long as, have hopefully, we can get him at a reasonable rate. And that if a team really does value that, then Richardson, they can't be sure that he's going to stay. And even if he were to make indications that he were willing to resign, he's not, like Richardson and his people, his agent are not going to say, oh, I'm 100% resigning here, doesn't matter what you offer me or anything like that. But it is a part of the sales pitch if that would be a way to retain him that they wouldn't have another way. Right. Yep, for sure. Anything else you want to discuss? Sixers, NBA, whatever? <laughs> I mean, I can, I can just say the one thing I'm really hoping for that comes out of all this is an amnesty. Um, only because, not only because the Sixers have a couple contracts you'd want amnesty, but also because the Sixers used their amnesty back in 2011 or after the 2011 um, CBA on Elton Brand, and then Elton Brand would use the, the new oh, amnesty on a player that he signed, and both amnesties in Sixers history would be related to Elton Brand. Uh, that would just be a, a delicious story, and I hope that that plays out. Yeah, and it will be really fascinating to see. I mean, you have these, the parties negotiated certain things deliberately in the 20, what's called the 2017 CBA, with no knowledge of what was going to come, because how could they? And the whether they recalculate the luxury tax or add an amnesty provision or like there are there are a lot of things that could be considered that normally would be within the realms of only full CBA negotiations, but we're in such uncharted waters. I will be interested to see how that how that comes into play. Yeah, and look, there's a there's a lot of different ways they could sort of resolve this weird cap situation and the, the drop in BRI. Um, amnesty is only one of them. 
but just because of, like I said, the the historical tie-in with Elton Brand, I hope uh, yeah. I hope that comes to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks again to Derek Bodner for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read his work at The Athletic, The Athletic's Philadelphia if you want to be specific, but really, you could see it anywhere on the site. And you can follow Derek on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA, D-E-R-E-K-B-O-D-N-E-R-N-B-A. Love having him on and love getting his perspective on what is a fascinating, unusual situation with the Sixers. That's why I wanted to have him on specifically. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. That's extremely important because this show doesn't come out on a specific day of the week. There isn't a pattern that you can get into. So subscribing means that it will pop into your podcast player whenever it's there. You can also spread word of mouth, single episode, or the show in general. If there are people you think would enjoy it, let them know. The show's been around a while, but that doesn't mean everyone knows about it. And also leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player for choosing. Really important to help other people find the show. Great if it's Apple Podcasts. Understand if it's not. And we're on Spotify now, so you can check us out there. That's for subscribing and for really anything. And the most important thing for this show and any other that has to know is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code for your special sign-up bonus. Also tells them that you came from us. Real GM Radio will continue going strong one time a week, as long as they let me do it. And as right now they are, and uh, it's been a real blast to do this, and I already actually have next week's guest lined up, but as a standard protocol, I will not say anything until the episode is recorded, and that will be hopefully early next week. Really excited, though, about, about what's coming up. You can also check out my work audio, Dunked On. We are still doing a lot of work right now. I just did a, a listener-suggested series on what-if players, so players that had their career sidetracked due to injuries or other things, you know, could be tragic passing or other demons. And, and so was, you know, what, what careers changed the most because of that. And um, some of them also wasn't as much necessarily about the player, but about how that affected the league, including for Sixers fans. Uh, I had a little, little riff on Markel Fultz and how he fit in with the Sixers so much better than the other players they've tried in that spot. Though not a ton of other real Sixers on the list, but plenty of other people. And it was, it was a, you know, at times it was depressing, but at other times it was, you know, appreciating the positive. So, so you can get that there. Also, plenty of writing at The Athletic. Just did a q and I've done Q&As in the last couple of days with a focus on the Hawks and the Knicks. Actually still have a second part of the Knicks one coming out and then the Rockets. And then I have my own solo piece. And I did a Hear the Deer podcast on The Athletic with Eric Nem talking about the collaborative piece that we did on a potential Giannis Supermax extension, and I'm working on a follow-up piece, separate one, about the consequences, the unintended consequences of that. So that should be out. I'm hoping Friday might end up being Monday at The Athletic. If you have any feedback on this show or honestly anything else I do, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get that to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I will get back to you if I can. I actually am still crazy busy in all this time, which I'm very thankful for. But again, I, I don't promise to respond. I just promise to read it. So that's that's really what the deal is there. Real Jam Radio, as I said, will be back next week. How do you have the guest lined up? And hope you all are taking care of yourselves, taking care of each other physically, mentally, emotionally. This is a lot, I know, for, for everybody to take. And hopefully this can make it at least a little bit better for you and yours. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.